not only is the crucial conversation back, but we're back with some new mics. Brian, how much better do we sound? We sound so much better, but the crucial conversation is back. We are large and in charge, and we are a whole lot larger than we were before quarantine because we've been sitting at home eating a <laughs> bunch of snacks. And so, but we are hopefully back because we've been having a couple of weeks, been kind of sporadic. We've been trying to figure out what's wrong with our microphone. We figured that out. Got it taken care of. But speaking of getting things taken care of, Tony, our guests out there, they need to take care of that junky sound that's in their closet. Every, Ladies, every time, every time yes. they they try and adjust that air from seventy six in their house down to about seventy two, exactly. all of a sudden you hear a. <laughs> Ladies, you don't have to Dude, put that up with air that. unit is just pathetic. You do not have to put up with that. You we shouldn't know. have to get a headache whenever you're already burning up in your house. Exactly. Get a new air unit, a, a high efficiency air unit, something that's going to cool your house down and something's going to keep your house warm because winter is just around the corner, buddy. Ladies, you don't have to live with the heat or being too cold. Your kids don't have to live with it no more. Just because your husband doesn't know how to work on it, we're going to bring you a guy who does know how to do that. His name's Nathaniel Anderson with Anderson Heat and Air. Guys, he travels all over. You can give him a call today. He's going to get you taken care of. It's 870-926-8700. Don't live in an uncomfortable house anymore. Call Nat Anderson at 870-926-8700. Absolutely. You need a real man to come work on your air unit. Now, (laughs) now, now, I know everybody out there is listening and going, but Brian, hasn't he worked on your air? Just because you point out where I'm a hypocrite doesn't mean I'm wrong. You need Nat Anderson to come take care of your business today. Anyway, anyway, ladies, I got something for you. I know finding modest fashion can be challenging, but guess what? We have a brand new sponsor that offers just that. Row and Ray Boutique is committed to offering you trendy, modest, and high-quality pieces to complement your style and leave you feeling beautiful and confident. Brian, my wife, she sometimes struggles finding that perfect outfit. Looks like this person here knows what they're doing when it comes to that. And guys, you can use code CC20. That's Crucial Conversation 20. For free shipping on your purchase. Their website is linked in our bio. It's rowrayboutique.com. That's R-O-W-R-E-A-B-O-U-T-I-Q-U-E.com. Go check them out today. Get free shipping with code CC20. Brian, can you remember that? What's that shipping code? Uh, it looks like CC20 to CC20. Me. Let them take care of you guys. Row and Ray Boutique is the real deal. We're so glad to have them on the Crucial Conversation with us. Go use a shipping code CC20 and get your free shipping today. I love new sponsors. I love that. I love new sponsors. I love them. And we have another new sponsor. That's I love on. old sponsors, too. I love all sponsors. I love all sponsors. But another new all sponsors, sponsors matter. we have. Ooh, Brian, you're on another level today. Another new sponsor we have that's a month old is Sheila Texter. She is an author of a book. Brian, she deals with some stuff in her book that uh, it's kind of hard to tackle. A lot of people don't want to talk about it. But she talks about it. She's actually going to be a guest on our podcast pretty soon. You can go to Amazon and find her book. You can go uh, to her website, and she'll get you a signed copy. The book is entitled Life After the Mistakes, New Beginnings. 
Guys, she's a really cool person. We got to meet her a few months ago. Um, glad to have her on board as a sponsor. Go to Amazon.com, search for Life After the Mistakes, New Beginnings, or you can go to her website, go to her Facebook. She'll send you a signing copy, same price, same everything. Guys, support those who support us. I think she's the one that introduced us to Dr. April Jones, that people who have been listening to No, she, to the didn't, she didn't introduce us to her, but she was at that event with Dr. April Jones. Well, she introduced april jones to us right our, our podcast i don't remember either way it doesn't matter but the fact is is that speaking of dr april jones if you've been listening to the podcast for quite a while which means you actually have a a, a life because you've been listening to the crucial conversation um so uh, if you've been listening to the podcast for very long you know that dr april jones has been a sponsor just about from the beginning yeah I just think about so. from the beginning and so she has a website called the drifted drum company yes driftedrumcompany.com yes and so at that website, you can purchase her book, No Mess, No Message. You can purchase a lot of different um, clothing items. Um, she's got you, can, a, you can use promo code CRUCIAL2020 get 20% off your entire purchase. Oh, is that still going? That's still going now oh, through the end of the year. Oh, through the end of the yeah. year. So you can be listening to this any time between now and the end of the year. And get that discount code, absolutely. Hey, 2020's been terrible. It might as well end it really good and get something with a discount. That's right. Guys, go to thedriftedrum.com, put in promo code CRUCIAL, get you 20% off your entire purchase. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It would be CRUCIAL2020, right? Yeah, that's right. CRUCIAL2020. That Yeah, I'm Not looking it up right now. to be confused with CRUCIAL. That is CRUCIAL, though. CRUCIAL Very much so. And what we're going to talk to you last before we get to our new episode is something called the Jesus Rally, October the 3rd. Beginning at 4 o'clock. Listen, I know you're already saying I ain't going to nothing. Coronavirus is still a thing. It's an outdoor event. Bring your own chair. Bring your own blanket. Whatever you want to do. But this is presented by a group called Group 714. It's been founded and based on the vision that the Lord has given opportunity and hope through our communities. You guys definitely don't want to miss this event. Um, the mission is to follow God's lead in bringing unity to the church as we um, you know, meet outside of the church. Um, we are beyond excited to announce that Jesus Rally will be held at, at Stones of Remembrance. It's an outdoor event, like I said. It's at 1086 Emerson Road in Gates, Tennessee on October the 3rd, beginning at 4. Guys, please come and join us for the beautiful evening of praise and worship and spirit-filled preaching as we turn our hearts and our eyes towards heaven. Guys, this is completely free. Brian, we're going to be there. Come say hi to us. Come introduce yourself. We love meeting our listeners out there. Um, we hope that you guys can join us. Um, it's going to be the real deal. It's called the Jesus Rally, and it's be held at the Stones of Remembrance at 1086 Emerson Road in Gates, Tennessee, on Saturday, October 3rd, starting at 4 o'clock. You guys ready? I'm ready. Because here we are, the Crucial Conversation. Mark your calendars, first of all, for October, October 3rd. October the 3rd, 4 o'clock. Mark your calendars. And Gates, I'll, Tennessee. I hope you're ready for this episode. I don't think they are. I don't think you're ready for this episode. We'll find out. But you're about to find out whether or not you are or not. This is going to be a very crucial conversation. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. Yeah, you're yeah. good. Man. What's ideal? Uh, uh, the way it is, just lift it up a little bit. Yeah, like I said, it'll it'll adjust. And all yeah, that. you're good now. So, 
We're recording right now. Oh, sweet. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, yeah. so we've got now again, we've got thirty-two ounces worth of energy drinks. Yeah, we in got. Front of, looks like two Red Bulls, yeah. a five-hour energy, uh, and an espresso shot. shot from Starbucks down there. Yeah, we've got one, two. Two of them are open. One of them's probably about to be open. And uh, oh, here we go. Already. Let's see if, if there's another oh, one. And is. those are Red Bulls, folks. <laughs> is that like apostolic ASMR. I like this. <laughs> this this oh. interview is going to be lit, in case you guys don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's got to start talking real fast. No, oh, man. But anyway, ahead. today on the podcast, we got Adam, how do I say your last name? Averett. Averett. Adam Averett uh, from Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, just drove up uh, from Cabot. You were at Purpose Institute. Right. How was that? It was good. It was great. Uh, everybody teaching is uh, phenomenal. Great. Really good material. So, uh Thanks for making that long drive. You got a long drive when you get home tonight. Uh, you go to a good friend of ours church, Brother Anderson's in Hot Springs. Yeah. Uh, Brian, that was a legit episode no, Brother was, Anderson recorded with us. No, that was like what, towards the end of last year. Yeah, that was it's hard legit. to believe. It's almost a year now. Man, that was it was a great episode though. Great episode. So, man, we had we just got done having dinner and right. you shared some crazy stories with us and I, I just got up from the table and said, let's go get this on record. Yeah, well, one of the things that he said was he said, well, you guys know Nick Mahaney, right? And we're like, well, yeah, of course you know Nick Mahaney. Nick Everybody Mahaney's, knows Nick Mahaney. Everybody yeah, doesn't love him. Yeah, he preaches everywhere, and he's like, yeah, my story makes his look like nothing. Yeah, like so, it's Mr. Rogers, so, yeah, so I'm interested in hearing this whole story. Uh, Adam, thanks for taking time to be with us today. Yeah, sure. Uh, Let's go back. Testimony. Let's go back a little bit. Um, I love Nick Mahaney. Just to clarify, just to that. clarify yeah, that I, everybody I'm loves super Nick proud of him. Nah, I think I everybody don't. is. But anyway. <laughs> Why you say that? <laughs> he makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> One time, he uh, I went out to eat with him and brother and sister Runyon, and Melissa was there, and he was just staring at me during the the dinner. <laughs> and I'm just like, why does he just keep staring at me? Well, little did I know that he was. That is my water. That's it, funny. Tony literally just opened my water up. That's what you guys just heard on camera. Uh, yeah. This on is camera. horrible. This is terrible. I, you're a jerk. So anyway. But anyway, no, he, he's sitting there and he's just looking at me. And, and all of a sudden he goes, hey, you know, for Halloween, if you wore a white hat and white <laughs> shoes, you could go as a Q-tip. <laughs> <laughs> and so I started staring at him. And while he's eating, and I look at his knuckles, and his his name is tattooed on his on his knuckles. I said, "Whenever you rob people, did you have to wear a glove so they wouldn't know who you were?" <laughs> what did he say? His response was, "They were so scared they didn't care what my name was." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, take us back a little bit, bro. Were were you raised in church or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe sixth generation. I needed to do the math again, but. Uh, my great great grandparents were there. Our great grandparents were there whenever the um, UP was UPC was first started, and they did a lot of the pioneer work there in Louisiana. Awesome. So, how did you get into Arkansas? Uh, my grandfather and grandmother and their six kids moved up in the '60s or '70s, <laughs> and um, he, Brian he went and got him another church. water. That's what that sound was because I did drink his water. So. Uh, I'm going to open it and strike a cig before someone else can steal it. <laughs> so, um, you want a regular I'm, water, by the way? I've got one. Gotcha. So, yeah, so they, they moved up there and uh, he was pastoring the church. Gotcha. So. so, take us to the point where you got married and your life kind of just, I'm going to say this, just turned upside down, kind of. 
Yeah, um, so I got married. We were married uh, maybe three and a half years. Towards the end of it, uh, I've got mental health issues, like legitimate, um, quantifiable mental health issues that I, I still take medication for. And it came out that I was um, bipolar and obsessive compulsive. And looking back through my entire life, and I think anyone that has known me any length of time from childhood is not surprised by that fact. And um, But it really it was just thought of as Adam being Adam. So I saw symptoms all through my life. And, um, was that through your church friends or was that through just everybody? All of them, yeah. Because friends, family. church friends, like, you don't talk about mental health issues. Yeah, yeah. No, it, especially in the 80s, you, you just didn't do it. What is Adam being Adam? Like, what does that mean? Um, like, like, what was a normal day in the life for you, like, when you're around people? Well, it fluctuated a lot, too. So with the, the ups and downs, the, the manic or depressive states. But, um, like, if I don't take my medication and um, uh, I'm affected by it, then uh, no impulse control. Um, there's a whole long list of, of symptoms. You can go on Wikipedia and look. But... Um, if I thought of something, Brother Anderson actually, God bless him, was really patient. He kept telling me, you need to work on moderation or um, maybe think about having a filter. And um, But if I thought of something, and this ties in with the obsessive compulsive too because you're compelled to do stuff that you're obsessing about. Just, it, it's really convoluted, but um, if I thought of something, I think the main symptom is if I thought of something, I would do it. Even if it was a flight of fancy or passing thought, I did it would know um there was once for an example where i was driving a pickup truck for work i worked for o'reilly auto parts when i was younger and i was driving down the highway west of hot springs there and i noticed that well this the alignment on the truck is very straight so i wonder how long it could drive without me touching the steering wheel and i was like well it's you know, maybe 10 or 15 seconds. And I started thinking, I was like, I bet I could climb out the passenger window, (laughs) crawl across the bed of the truck and climb in the driver's window before the truck went off course. So I set the cruise control 50 miles an hour, climbed out the passenger window, scrambled across the bed of the truck and shot back into the driver's window. Now, Whenever you say that, they're like, oh, that's Adam being Adam. Like in the old days, they would say, well, that's just, you're crazy. You know, just, well, whenever you feel like I was a prisoner to that thought, because I couldn't stop. So if I thought of it, I had to do it. Like it was. You just couldn't let it go. And I was a prisoner in my own mind because I would think, well, this is unreasonable behavior. This is not normal, but not be able to stop myself. And that's what led to the depression is because I knew like, my whole day was spent or night was spent like well what's the next thought that's going to come into my head that I can't stop and so whenever people saw it they didn't know the internal struggle at what age did all this stuff begin Uh, as far as I can remember as like as, as, as a child maybe not to that extent but in my early 20s is when it really hit like the bottom just fell out like so your parents had a handful when you were growing up Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, it is crazy. And, um, I mean, uh, yeah, like I I thought I was with my cousin when, when we were kids and we were throwing darts and the thought came in my head, well, 
I wonder if you can stick that dart in, dart in his arm. So I threw it and stuck a dart in his arm. And it was like, that's, <laughs> they, they were like, well, that's Adam being Adam. <laughs> but in my mind, it wasn't funny to me because I was like, I was a prisoner to my, my, my own mind and body betrayed me. Like the only, like, even if everyone else in the world betrayed me, I should be at least be able to rely on myself or, or to uh, feel safe with myself. But I was the one, my, my own mind was the one that betrayed me and, and hurt me more than anything else. And it wound up hurting everybody around me, mm. destroying lives and stuff. So, um, and no matter how much I prayed about it or fasted about it, um, it never changed. It never stopped. And I wish that I had, and, and I don't blame the church because the church just in the past 20 years has made huge strides. We still need to do a lot of work though. Um, about telling people just to pray about or to be educated on mental health issues. They don't work. It, they, they, something needs to happen. Yeah. Because nobody prayed harder to be normal than I did. Nobody prayed harder to be good like than I did. Um, or to be right or healed or, or not broken in my head. Nobody prayed harder than I did. I didn't like being like that. You know, it's funny and stuff, and I tell stories, and, and most of my stories are real goofy. The sounding, because I don't ever want to glorify how bad it really was, but I was living, and I was a prisoner to it. And like I said, I mean, I hurt everyone around me, just destroyed them. And, um, like, I'll never be able to go back and tell, like, sit down with them and say, look, I know I did awful stuff to you. I know I hurt you physically. I know I hurt you emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And I'm really sorry, but here's why. Here's just some context so you understand. And to me, even now, even if I did have a chance, it would almost sound like I was making an excuse. But it's not, you know. I mean, I own my own failures. You know, I've hurt a lot of people. But I just wanted them to have some context, you know. And, and the Bible, see, I don't have a license for the UPC to yank, so I can really say whatever I want. Um, just warning, I do. <laughs> yeah. So my deal is we, we're like, we'll pray about it. We'll pray about this. Well, even Jesus didn't have all his prayers answered. Paul suffered with his eyesight, so he didn't get healing. Of all the people in the world, you would think Jesus would get his prayers answered. He didn't. Paul didn't get healing. Timothy didn't get healing. He had to drink a little wine for his stomach. So why are we telling people with legitimate mental health issues that are physical issues, just pray about it? Paul didn't tell Timothy, just pray about your stomach. He said, you need to medicate it. So why in the world are we telling people now, oh, just pray about it? That's not even biblical. I don't think you should take happy pills to, to get you over everything, but if there's a legitimate health issue, we don't tell the diabetic or the cancer patient, well, you don't need that. You don't need that cancer treatment. You just need to pray harder. It's just like uh, the whole thought process in a different light is the defunding of the police. That's that's real popular right now. Right. Makes no sense to me. You're going to need that eventually. You might think it's a great idea to tell somebody to pray about it. Or you might think it's like the easiest thing to say, well, let's, the police are the problem. Let's just defund them. But whenever someone comes knocking on your door, it 1 a.m. and starts right. breaking into their house, you're going to call, would you like your answer to be, well, we're thinking about you. Right. Good luck. Yeah. 
the church doesn't need that, especially with something that we're not willing to talk about or right. willing to bring uh, light to that subject. So how did you cope with um, everybody just thinking it was you being you? Well, I had a huge moral failure that uh, really injured a church that I loved and cared about and a pastor that I adored and um, destroyed my marriage and hurt um, the woman I was married to. Uh, I wasn't even able to love correctly, you know, so um, I didn't handle it well. Then I wound up um, the last the last suicide attempt it was I drove to the Walgreens I drove past the church and drove it to the Walgreens and on a Sunday morning and it was just too I was just so tired I was so tired I was tired of the moral failure and trying to figure out how to make it right of being a prisoner in my own mind of being so broken hurting the people I love the most I was just tired I was so injured and tired that I said well it, you're in so much pain that suicide seemed like a viable option and that's where the devil plays into it. it's not just chemical imbalances the devil's there the whole time trying to destroy you but you can't think that in 9-11 which we just celebrated or remembered yesterday was it yesterday yeah, yeah. those people that were jumping out of the skyscraper weren't committing suicide were they who in their right mind would think those people jumping out of the top floors but the pain where they were was so intense that anything seemed like a viable option compared to what they were going through. So I walked into the Walgreens in my suit, grabbed two bottles of pills off. And this of is after a church service? No, it was during church because I just I just drove past church. So you were on your way and you drove yeah, past? I was, yeah, I just drove past it. Uh, went in there, uh, got two bottles of sleeping pills and a water out of the cooler and went in the Walgreens bathroom and took them all. And I woke up in the hospital with him pumping my stomach. So twice, they had to pump it twice. So you said that's the last time you tried to attempt suicide. Overtly, how, yeah. How, how many times before that was it? Um, there was probably three other times. Yeah, it was three other times before that. Another one with pills. It was just half-hearted. But a lot of people that commit suicide do test runs beforehand. But that's not counting the times where I would just be parked down a dirt road with – I had a – the one, the one I was always bring with me was a 357 Magnum revolver, and I would sit there at the end of a dirt road not far from our house, just trying to work up the nerve to finish. And so I'd have the barrel in my mouth with a hammer cocked, just hoping my finger would slip. So I did that probably 20 or 30 times. Mm. So, so what was it that kept you from doing that after? I mean, you told the story. You're going down the road 50 miles an hour. Yeah, you yeah. crawl out the passenger side, across the truck bed, and you get back in the driver's side. So how were you able to not control yourself in that instance, but whenever the revolver's in your mouth, you had enough control not to? It's the same reason, right? We know. Like what kept me safe from driving down the highway and what kept me safe from shooting myself? That's the whole point I'm here. That's the only reason I'm, I'm here talking right now it's the only reason i still do ministry is god's grace man it's persistent god's grace will follow you no matter where you go and that's bible but it's also my life so so you told us a story at dinner that i want you to share with our listeners um you spent time in prison i did a year right out of a year tell us the the before 
what got you sentenced, what happened in prison, and kind of what you know directed you to kind of make it out. Yeah, I, just as a, a quick caveat, I don't want anybody that might hear this to think that um, at some point we got to let God's grace do its work. And if someone has been restored by God's grace, we need to, t- if we're believers, that we need to take pleasure in that. You need to accept it. And we need celebrate to celebrate it. it. Yeah. Celebrate mm-hmm. it. And I know people might, some people might hear this and they think of me how I was 10 or 12 years ago. And all I just want is to, for people to hear me and think that even if I, in our conversation, if we laugh or joke about something, that it's only for the same reason that God's grace kept me and saved my life. Right. So I would hate to be judged as if I were ten years ago. Yeah. You? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I'm not. And you know, it, it's one of those weird things that it's like people will, will do something, and it's like if somebody else were to say it, you would celebrate it. Like it's one thing for some random evangelist to come to your church and he talks about how he did this and that, and you celebrate where God brought him from, and it's a totally different thing when it's the person that affected you that has that same experience. Right. And and it's a whole lot harder for people to celebrate over the one they are most familiar with. They'll celebrate over a stranger, but they won't celebrate over someone they're closely associated with. Right. And, and I think that that's actually really telling about the individual more so than on the, per- the I'm putting in quotes here, the perpetrator of the action, which well, we guess wouldn't be in quotes. They per- perpetrated sure. an action. But but the, the unwillingness to forgive and accept and celebrate people can change because, again, if if you can believe a total stranger can be changed, then why wouldn't you believe the same thing about someone that you're connected to? And I'm not saying that as a criticism against any individual other than me because I'm that way. Because if some drug addict comes in and I believe God will deliver that drug addict, it doesn't matter who the drug addict is, if they're a stranger, but whenever... My sister walks in. I don't believe it's possible. Right. Yeah. Because I've seen all these different things, and and and, and, and because I'm closely associated with it. Yeah, I I agree with what you're saying, Brian. Because uh, for for instance, um, and it's tough. I, I, yeah, it's I don't I don't like seeing someone that I've physically seen. Um, Say someone that they may have abused somebody, and then they come in and they're acting like they're restored. And I, I use the word acting because I've seen it whenever it's right. God's grace in their life. So who am I? Who are you to judge that person? You know. Yeah. So I mean, if you have a problem with Adam being on our podcast telling a story, uh, I'm sorry. That's that's the only thing I can say. You. Well, I the, mean, you can't discount God's grace. No, I hope not. I mean, we better not. Any of us. Me and and I speak. Any, any sermon I ever preach, it's always to me, mostly. But, and I say this without a single ounce of hubris, um, but I should be for Arkansas, and hopefully people, you know, the more we talk, you can understand a little bit. But for Arkansas, I should be its biggest testimony for our district. Mm-hmm. And I say that because I was its biggest failure. So I feel like Paul in some ways. Like, if I glory in anything, let it be in God's grace and what he did for me. And y'all celebrate with me, too. Because y'all knew, the people that might hear this, they knew me. They knew how bad it was. And I hurt a lot of people. I made a lot of mistakes. I abused a lot of people. Destroyed a lot of things. I had so much blood on my hands that I still 
I still ask God to take from me. But can't we um, can't we celebrate God's grace by by seeing its biggest failure? Yeah, you know, restored. Should, so tell we? us. So tell us the story. I, uh, I remember that. Uh, about, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the reason we like for our guests to tell these stories is because we never know who they're going to connect with. Right. Right. And um, I have no doubt in my mind we're going to have a listener that's struggling with the exact same thing you struggled past tense with. Right. Um, will you share that story with us? The the prison story, yeah. Which one? The one that caused you to get into prison. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought you yeah, I was like, well, I've got a million prison stories. Here, so. <laughs> I'm talking about the one that got yeah, you yeah. sentenced. Yeah. So, um, and, 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 before you judge me on on the story, just let me finish it, and you can understand the context of what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Because at the time, I thought I was doing right at the beginning, and what I want, what is trying to do now, this is with me suffering. I would, I was hallucinating, um, just a, a complete prisoner and sad and lonely. I felt so alone, and that was the devil. I felt like I didn't have anybody that would understand or, or care about me enough to to help me work through whatever it was. But for one instance, like I was working in a town about an hour and a half away from home. And my wife at the time didn't work on Fridays and I knew she was off. So I drove an hour and a half to the office, got my stuff set up and tried calling her. But I knew that she was asleep because she slept late on Fridays. But my mind was, I was obsessed with the fact that something happened to her somebody broke in and, and murdered her so 8 30 in the morning i picked up all my stuff drove an hour and a half back got a speeding ticket the whole time telling myself this is re- unreasonable behavior you know she's sleeping you know nothing's wrong but not being able to stop myself so i drove home walked inside and she was asleep like i knew she was so things like this uh, i would try calling a friend they wouldn't answer, so I would drive 45 minutes to their house to make sure their house didn't burn down. Just telling it is stupid stuff, but I'm just trying to give a little more context. Um, so in the process of my mind falling apart, I was also burning the candle at both ends, never sleeping. Um, and I think that had something to do with the mental health issues too. Um, so I was exhausted, three or four hours of sleep a night. Um, working, church, and just going, 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 and not taking care of myself. And then also um, not using wisdom uh, in, in my approach to trying to help people. Uh, we had – how much detail do you want? Like, Just give it to us, man. Well, I don't want anybody – because like I said, everybody pretty much – I don't want to hurt anybody. Just whatever anybody. you're comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody else. Sure. Like, myself yeah. is fine. But you don't have to give any names. Yeah, so a situation arose where um, a girl was staying with me and my wife, and I let an emotional uh, emotional intimacy attach uh, attachment happen uh, – start between us, and um, stuff that I – should have been getting from my wife. When I, I don't mean should have been getting in that because she was inadequate. I mean stuff that would have been appropriate coming from my wife was coming from her and vice versa. It was yeah. not her. You had an emotional yeah, connection. Yeah, there was an emotional connection. 
And it was easier because she didn't have to put up with me. She just came around whenever it was convenient or, you know, it was casual or whatever so that there was no commitment like a marriage. So she had less responsibility in that aspect. But emotional attachment and happening, um, the end result of it was uh, a conviction, a criminal conviction. So um, I went to prison. I don't want to go into too much detail because I don't want anybody sure, yeah. anybody getting hurt. Or, so you were accused of something. I was accused of something. What I was accused of didn't happen, but I was not also wasn't in, I'm not saying I wasn't guilty or that I was innocent. Mm-hmm. Well, I was accused of didn't happen, but um, but you were guilty of a lesser charge. But I was charge. guilty of uh, a, let's just I don't want to say lesser because I don't I don't want it anyone to say well I'm making it lesser for them you know like it was a different I was guilty of something else but not guilty of what I was charged with I wasn't innocent um, regardless I wound up in prison so mm-hmm. how long were you in prison for right out of a year mm-hmm. and you were originally sentenced for four months yeah four months but when you're in there they, they get subsidies from the federal government and stuff so and they, hold they don't want yeah they don't want you I had no disciplinary actions taken against me. It was just once you're in the system, they're not going to – it's like so a hotel. You don't want empty beds. Should you have had disciplinary things against you? Yeah. <laughs> like what? Well, I accidentally started a riot. <laughs> no, I did get How that. How do you accidentally was, start a riot? Well, all right, this was in county jail, so it didn't go on my prison record. It was, it was right before I transferred. The, the medical care was really bad, and they – one of our – Why was it so bad? Well, the doctor at the time had lost his license, so he couldn't prescribe medication. These were uh, a lot of the medical personnel couldn't get jobs anywhere else. So it was like the bottom of the barrel. They had no no imperative to or desire to want to do a great job. I mean, we were a captive consumer, so they didn't really have to worry about us going somewhere else. Yeah, I, I was wondering, you know, because you said something at lunch about how people will just clog up the system oh yeah and that probably has a lot to do with it too people will just they want attention or they just want to get something from the administration or the government and they will just be demanding left and right every day whether it's just for advil mm-hmm. and they just clog up the system so it's, it's just a mess like it's just a really mess a uh, real mess so you were constantly fighting battles in your mind now you're sentenced you're sitting in a prison no, cell he didn't explain how he, he started the riot though Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so one of our guys... Uh, we'll get back to because I got a deep question. Go one ahead. of our guys didn't get his insulin, and he went into the diabetic shock or coma or whatever on the floor in front of us, and the guards came to get him, and I started griping at the guards for it because he had been asking for his insulin, and they wouldn't. They just ignored him. So the guards got mad and said they took away our television privileges for a week. Which I don't care. I didn't watch TV. I'm Pentecostal. <laughs> I got standards. <laughs> and I said, now if you took my monitor, we'd have problems. <laughs> but so whenever oh, he poked his funny. head into, when he poked his head in and started yelling about no TV for a week or two, I said, well, that's how riot starts. And uh, he's like, what? And he started yelling and threatening. And the inmates started saying, oh, yeah, we're going to riot. And so they started yammering back and forth, and it wound up they set two mattresses on fire and started throwing <laughs> stuff. 
So they put me in the hole for a month. and But the hole for me, the guards liked me, so I got to keep my blanket and pillow and my Bible and books. So I just laid in solitary for a month, not having to deal with anybody. Taking so, some of them long naps. Yeah, so they're like, we'll let you out if you tell us who's sneaking in tobacco. I'm like, oh, I don't know, guys. Uh, you might have to leave me in here another month. So, <laughs> but, yeah, so that uh, my dad had to call the captain and get me out of solitary confinement for that. <laughs> so my question was, um, you're, you're, you're fighting battles in your mind because you have um, these issues going on, you know, in your mind. And then you are sentenced to prison for something that you weren't necessarily guilty to, but you get sentenced anyway, and you're sitting in a prison cell knowing your heritage, what you come from. Uh, what is your thought process at this time? Because you let your mind wander a lot. What is your thought process this whole time? I did a lot of crying. Um, a lot of crying and really sad. I missed my wife at the time, and we had already got she got divorced, or we got divorced. And I still want to reiterate that I'm not trying to make light of the the stuff that made me go to prison. Because if anybody hears this, that I just don't want anybody to get hurt or think I'm making light or excuses for it. Because I'm not. We all, everyone that knows the story knows what really happened. So, um, but I'm not trying to put it off on someone else or sure. n- not take blame because there was only one person responsible and that was me. So, um but my thought process was I was really sad. That's it, really. I didn't eat much. Um, I cried a lot. You're not supposed to cry in prison unless it's in a pillow at night or in the showers where they can't see it. But I well, I cried on the sitting on the bench and sitting on the side of my bed and standing at the phones and looking out the hall window. Um, at the time, I just I, I was just trying to figure out. I just wanted to be able to explain to my wife what happened. That's really what drove me for a long time. Is you just like, wanted I just to wanted to yourself. clarify and say because there was stuff that whenever I was out of the picture, or before I was completely out of the picture, but wasn't around town at the time, there was stuff that was being said or that she, that was being misconstrued or misrepresented to her. And even if she divorced me, I I didn't blame her for divorcing me. I just wanted it to be for the right like the accurate stuff, you know, like not some fantasy or gossip or something. Have you ever had an opportunity to reconcile? No, no. Um, no, and I don't, I mean, she, she wound up marrying a guy I was, I was friendly with. And, uh, at first I was pretty upset obviously, but, um, I, if I had to choose anybody that I know for her to have married, it would have been him because he's one of the best guys I know. So I th- I'm, I don't know what the, I couldn't have said that. Well, I used to pray. This is how bad I was, and she almost died of cancer. I think not long after that, and I used this is how bitter and angry I was. I used to pray that God would kill her, that God would let the cancer kill her, and that's the only prayer life I had is praying for my ex-wife to die from cancer. Why? Because because didn't you want to explain nobody, yourself? Nobody. Nobody. I never got a chance that they. Just, it felt like people just wrote me off and threw me at into the garbage which I was garbage but it still hurt me so much mm-hmm. um, but then after um, when I first started getting back in church something happened to where um, I just started praying for her and him and it was the hardest thing I ever prayed for it was a, one of the hardest things I've ever done and I was in the back of this um, marble and granite shop working and some stone and water was spraying everywhere and I realized I was crying and I just started praying 
and um, I prayed and I still pray for him every morning I've got a prayer journal and um, I pray for him but I prayed and I was like well I'm just going to pray for them how I would want somebody to pray for me and my wife if I was married so I started praying that God would bless them with a strong marriage with a good marriage bless them financially bless their health everything and instantly it was maybe the most magical feeling supernatural moment of prayer I've ever had because instantly all my bitterness was gone Mm. and it felt like a million pounds had been lifted off my shoulders and that's when I started healing because up to that point I'd been trying to get in church for a year or two but I was still doing stupid stuff snorting ground up Xanax and hydros off the counter in the church bathroom um getting kicked out of churches uh, in writing. I still wasn't right. But when at the, the instant, the instant I started praying for those two, instantly I, the healing process started. It was amazing. And I still pray for them years and years later. You, how, um, how long, how much time was it, by the way, from the time that you had attempted suicide that final time until you went into the prison? I got arrested the next day. The next day after? Yeah, they let me out of the hospital. Well, they let me out of the hospital a day or two later, and then the cops showed up and arrested me right when I got out of the hospital. From so the right in that time frame is whenever the accusation came up? Yeah, when I was in the hospital for the um, for the suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. That, that suicide so is that attempt. the reason so, so you asen- attempted suicide was because you knew she went to the— no, because she didn't. I kept asking her. I, I knew. I was like, do you want to go talk to our pastor? Anybody? I know we'll get in trouble, but do you want to talk to anybody about it? Can we make it? She didn't want to do that. Hmm. So if I had, I don't know. I don't know what prompted her that, that time. It's fine. It was God's timing, you yeah. know. So you drove by a church, and you pretty much go straight into the prison. So, I mean, you hadn't just been, like, out of church very long. So when you were in prison, were you a complete heathen in prison? Or did you still have some remnant of, like, you, I know you, you were kind of joking, like, I don't care about the TV thing. I'm Pentecostal. I don't watch TV anyway. But at that point, were you like, well, I'm in prison, so I'm just going to be a complete heathen now? Or did you hold any sort of remnant of Christianity? even? In the- yeah, and I, I went in. I went into, um, when I, they led me out of the courtroom in handcuffs down the hallway, I said, God, I'm not going to let this turn me into someone I'm not. Well, he had other plans. Thankfully, because it did. It was one of the best. Other Aside from me hurting people to get in there, it, it saved my life because it got me away from everything and just uh, in, internal um, analysis. But, um, yeah, so they led me to the, to the barracks or the pod that I had used to go into on Wednesday nights and do Bible studies with a guy from church. So I was so now— So you used to do a jail ministry before you went Yeah, to jail, jail yeah. So I really took it serious, the whole Bro, I got to ask you something. Thing. Yeah. Before you were in prison, were you a hypocrite? Because I'm listening to your story, and I'm just being flat out honest, because you're saying to yourself, I'm not going to let this change me, but you also just said you were snorting ground up. No, no, that pills. happened after prison. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. My time was yeah. messed up. There. No, no, that's my bad. No, no. No, I'm, I was absolutely a hypocrite, yet. but not for that. So. Gotcha. Um, as so, we all are as young Christians. Yeah, so ahead. we got it all figured out, so. Um, yeah, I went in there and. Um, so you're in the pod you used to teach Bible yeah, studies. Yeah, and they, there was guys still in there that recognized me from there. From, from what did the, they say? They just shook their heads and they were disappointed and stuff. So 
I could tell. How'd that feel? That was really awful. That has to feel terrible. Yeah. I'm like, hey, guys, remember me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but, no, so there was a guy that came in and would do Bible studies since I couldn't do them anymore. Well, I could, but anyway, he came in. I don't remember what denomination he was, but he um, – when I first got in there, they play – like, there's not jailhouse rape like you see in movie or I don't watch movies because I'm Pentecostal. But I think I think the ALJC people watch movies. <laughs> and that was just a little joke. And so oh, I guess I'll cut Mark 3645 out. I'm just kidding. I love WPF I love people can't even spell movie. Yeah. <laughs> or won't. Or won't. It's getting hot in here. <laughs> oh man. I'm gonna take a little sip of my Red Bull. No offense. No offense to everybody. With all due respect. Hey, we've had we've had them from every organization. I love them all, man. So, I yeah. love every single one of them. Yeah, oh, sorry about that. Man, that was pretty loud. <laughs> yeah. Um you hit the mic stand, by the way. Yeah, like, what watch. in the world happened? Did they just have one of those <laughs> new Madrid earthquakes? No, it was none of that. It is all right, 2020. All right, but all right. It wasn't Let's get back on track. Here. All right. So, so um, yeah, I was in there, and I got in a couple fights at the very beginning, and I was really apologetic about it. And, and those two guys that, that uh, had an altercation where they left. but um, Did you win? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Look at me. <laughs> you are the, pretty tall. You are pretty tall. It's pretty intimidating. The white guys started calling me white uh, hardcore, and the black guys called me white devil. <laughs> which, in hindsight, is not the worst prison nicknames you could have. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, what was um, the worst prison nickname you heard? Puddin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even gonna ask how you got that nickname. It wasn't my nickname. Oh, no, I'm, I'm saying I don't even want to know how that guy got it. Anyway, oh my word. <laughs> So, so uh, you were teaching. You could have taught Bible study. I did. Well, just, what happened is this guy kept droning on, and I was like, "I'm." Not, and I've got letters from prison. I put one on uh, Facebook the other day about how I'm, I don't even know why I'm trying anymore. I'll never preach again. Um, God's done with me. Um, but this guy started getting into the plan of salvation, and it was just not right. And so when he left, I'm like, "All right, guys, listen, we need to talk about this." And so I talked about baptism in jesus name and they're like well we like the way you talk about the bible these are grown men in the bible belt deep south that had never heard of david and goliath and we take it for granted but if you grow up in a dope house and never go to church and can barely eat you're getting molested or beat up or whatever then you're not going to know who solomon is or samson we just take it for granted so i i was laying on my bunk that night and um crying with my back turned to the, the guys and I felt somebody shake my bunk and I turned over and it was two of them. Hey, we want you to tell us something else about the Bible. I said, no guys, I'm not, I'm not ready for it. You know, I just don't want to talk about it. I'm sad. And I was friendly with them there, but they said, you're not going to bed till you tell us a Bible story. So I was like, all right, man. So what am I going to tell these idiots? You know, these criminals. So I was like, well, I bet they'll like David. You know, so I told them about David and Goliath. And that's when I realized they said, we've never heard of this before. So I was like, that's amazing. So the next night, this was like the last month I was in jail before they transferred me to the prison system. The next night, I was same situation. I was going to bed, crying myself to sleep, feel my bunk shake, and I roll over. There's four or five guys. They said, hey, 
we brought our buddies. We wanted you to tell us another Bible story. So I'm like, all right, whatever. So I told him about Samson. I'm like, well, he's with hookers and beating people up. These guys are going to love it. And they did. But every night for the last month I was there, and it got to be where every inmate that was in our pod, every night I could not go to bed until these guys got a Bible story. Now, these are murderers, rapists, drug lords, like some jacked up stuff, but they would not let me go to bed until I told them a Bible story. That's it was crazy. amazing. And seven of them wound up getting baptized in Jesus' name for it. So then you go in the hole before you're transferred. Which time? For the riot? Yeah. That's right before you go to the prison system, correct? Oh, yeah. I went to the hole twice. Once for the riot, and then once was medical isolation. Because it was basically the hole without disciplinary, but it was a quarantine area. And that was because I got real bad cellulitis in my left elbow, and it swelled up like um, heck boy. Can we say heck? I don't know. <laughs> you know that? Oh, oh, oh. The, yeah. No, you can say Hellboy. It's like, even though it's a... I'm UPC. Yeah, well, no, it's a comic book. That's his, that's his formal name. That's what my I'm, arm really looked like, though. Is it was huge. Yeah. It's a DC it, comic. It was compressing my elbow. I couldn't couldn't get out of bed. I had fevers and chills. It was really awful. Really, really awful. And there was inmates there that were would scrounge around and find an extra blanket to cover me up with at night. Whenever I was trying to get out of bed to put my shoes on, I had inmates putting my sandals on or flip flops on for me. Found me an extra pillow. Super nurturing. It was amazing. It was the weirdest thing in the world. Really. How were they doing that? I guess just because I was nice to them. I treated them with respect, and I talked about Jesus to them, and I lived it. So at the time, I didn't feel God's presence at all in any way whatsoever. But I said, all right, God, I'm going to just live for you just to show you I wasn't in it for the blessings. Even though you might not care about me anymore, you might be done with me, you can still at least see what I'm doing. But And while I'm in here, you're going to see that I was not just talk. Like I really, I didn't feel any anointing. I didn't feel anything. But like I said, seven people got baptized in Jesus' name. A lot of people got my mom and grandma sent Bibles into them. They couldn't read well, so it was usually the message. Anyway, so they put me in medical isolation. Were you licensed before you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we really—I don't think we really went into it. Like, what all? What all ministries were you involved in before? Um, I did children's ministry a while. Then I did youth ministry for a while, maybe a year. Then I resigned from that, and then a while later I went to prison. But yeah, um, yeah, I don't know why those guys were like that to me. Like I said, I think because I was just respectful and nice to them, and and God had His hand on me. Looking back. There was all kinds of situations that God had his hand on me. But they took me out of there and put me in the hole, like you were saying, because they thought it was staph infection. And this was like three days before Christmas. They did a shift change. It was just me and this real crazy guy next to me in the cell next to me. And he was screaming and cussing God 24-7 and kicking his walls and his door. But when they did the shift change, they didn't write our names. They didn't write our names down on the ledger, so nobody came to feed us. So we didn't eat like the day before Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, or Christmas. And they finally came back to us on the day after Christmas, like, "Oh, hey, yeah, we got you some soup." So I didn't even acknowledge it. So I was laying there, all infected in my arm and 
fevers and chills and crying and hearing this guy cursing God and hungry and stuff. So was that your lowest point while you were in prison? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think so. It was just really like you were in prison inside the prison and I was deathly ill. So they finally took me to the medical clinic a couple of days later and the guys like a walk-in clinic and the doctor's like, I don't know why you let this go so long. You're going to need orthopedic surgery when you get out. I'm like, I had no control over it. Mm-hmm. But what God healed, I'm, my elbows healed. So. so what Brian and I know is that after you get out of prison is where your story gets real crazy. Yeah, that's real crazy. So tell us a little bit about after prison stories here. Um, and then why was it so crazy? All right, so what happened, see what had happened was, <laughs> first of all, right before I went into prison, uh, like I said, a, a preacher said, you're gonna, you'll never preach again, your ministry's over, so you need to get that in your head right now and just deal with it and, and move on. And I believed him, which was dumb. But when I got out, God hadn't taken my calling or my burden. But I had no outlet. And I was like, well, even if I'm not a preacher, I can go to church. But I couldn't because a lot of, there was a lot of crazy rumors going on that uh, were getting back to me. Not everybody. The devil, like I said, the devil's there the whole time. But I, in my mind at the time, I thought it was everyone. Everyone was saying this, that uh, my wife had been pregnant and I didn't want a baby. So I punched her in the stomach till the baby died. That I broke her arm, or I had a secret apartment where I was bringing teenage girls, or just stuff that was crazy. And so I didn't know what to do. Like if, and I prayed and I wrote letters and journals, and I'm like, God, if if I'm not a minister anymore, can you at least take this burden, this calling? Because it's miserable to have a calling but no outlet. Like Jeremiah says, like a fire shut up in your bones, and that's not healthy. I'll mess you up. So when I got off parole, I went back to doing oil and gas business. I'm a single man, backslidden, hurt, bitter, angry, and making thousands of dollars a week all over the country with no family, no church. So I felt like I couldn't be in church anymore. There was no place for me because I was too broken and too dirty and too, too messed up. And I could never be a preacher again because that preacher had told me that. So what else was I going to do? I mean, I mean, really, what was I going to do? I couldn't go to church, and I couldn't preach. And I shouldn't have been preaching at the time, sure, but what was I supposed to do? Because you, you can't replace that. You can't replace ministry with anything else because I tried. So I started doing a lot of drugs. I blew close to half a million dollars on drugs and travel and cars and affairs and stuff like that so and I would get in a lot of fights I would sit in bars because I never drank I drank once in my life but I wasn't a drinker but I would sit in bars for hours and hours I probably spent more time in bars than any alcoholic and I just drink coffee and I would wait for some jerk to get drunk enough to start fights and that way I could beat him up and feel justified in doing it. So it sounds to me like you just wanted to, to fight. Yeah, I just wanted uh, – I was hurt, and I was trying to reach some sort of emotional homeostasis where they were hurting as much as I was. 
<laughs> so, it's not, but it was stupid. I mean, it was real stupid. You yeah. know, those are what if that? What if I'm the only apostolic person they ever met, mm. and all mm. they know about me is I punched them in the face? Were you still apostolic at that point? I still believed in it, but I, I can't say I was apostolic. I mean, mm. I wasn't living it. Did you go to church after you got out of prison? Here and there, yeah, yeah. But like I said, I never. I always felt like I was because of the rumors and stuff that had got back to me. I felt like. Everyone in the world, which is ludicrous, pretty narcissistic. But it was the devil, too, using it. But I felt like everybody in the world knew who I was, and they were um, just staring at me. You know, I got they didn't want me there or whatever. I was mm-hmm. too dirty, too messed up. I mm-hmm. failed too much. So how long after you were out of prison um, did you say, you know, enough's enough, I, I got to – I got to dedicate my life at some point. It was like maybe six years. Six years. Yeah. What did you do in those six years? A lot of drugs. Um, How'd that get started? I just, uh, I hurt. I was hurting too much. And so I had a huge, massive six-figure disposable income. And um, So you threw it up. Women, cars, travel, and drugs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, um, yeah, so I was just self-medicating is what it was. You know, I wasn't an addict. I was an abuser of it because whenever I stopped, I quit cold turkey and almost died from I didn't realize it was dangerous like that, but I almost died just from quitting cold turkey. Mm. Like, it was horrible. It was, it was the sickest I've ever been. How close to death have you been, you think? Well, it's probably the closest. That I know of? Yeah. Well, you, I mean, it depends because, like, you think about that um, that truck deal, stories like that. So that's pretty close probably, mm-hmm. you know, or putting myself in dangerous situations because this is what it was. The fighting and stuff, it was not because I wanted necessarily just to beat people up or for them to beat me up, but it was really more that I wanted, I wanted to die. And in prison, I actually prayed that I would have the strength to kill myself when I got out. And, um, but I didn't. So I kept putting myself in situations where it'd be very easy for me to be killed real easy. So a lot, maybe in six years, how many times that that I know of like legit death, uh, maybe 10, 10 or 12 in six years that I know of, that I can remember. What was the situation, the scenario that, um, oh, with that my you thumb? can remember? Yeah. All right, so I got a lot of tattoos, which is another dumb thing I did. <laughs> so we have a tattooed felon on the podcast today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a real dumb one. Um, so in El Paso... There was a strip club, which was called the Red Parrot, and I don't think it's there anymore. And I loathe, even in my darkest days, I loathe strip clubs just because of the predatory aspect and vibe to it, and it's just gross. Loathe them, which is odd. I actually used to be a bouncer at a strip club in those days. Did I tell you that one? No. Yeah, I was a bouncer at a strip club. Um, Anyway, so at this one, I would go just because I was lonely. And um, there was this one girl named Jasmine that was real beautiful. And, like, I never paid 
gave money to the strippers or anything because but I would go and just hang out at the bars you know waiting for trouble but me and her got to um actually started kind of being a couple uh, well not kind of we're dating and everything and um she was from Juarez and she would come over and dance so we dated for a while and she didn't show up to work for two or three weeks and wasn't answering her phone so I went to the bar the strip club and asked where they were she was and they told me that where they thought her neighborhood was in Juarez well this is how dumb I was I, I crossed the border with a handgun and whenever I got over there I was gonna find, I don't speak a lick of Spanish and I stand out like a sore thumb like I no pun intended with a sore thumb but I don't know anyway so then I started second-guessing myself about um, the handgun but then I was too nervous to sneak it back so I left it in the car and I was walking around looking for well I was asking the wrong people the wrong questions and um, I'm pretty big I'm a real big guy but how tall are you six four without my heels but (laughs) um, six four and 280 pounds but I was asking the wrong guy even though I'm bigger than than most of the guys that were in Juarez whenever they have guns and you don't and in hindsight I was like well maybe I didn't want to die that bad because if I had it was a perfect time to be like just like oh yeah get lost guys and they could have killed me but I was in this little uh, like a little auto garage behind another building and these guys had me in there and they told me I don't know if they were serious or not they could they probably were but uh, they told me they were going to cut my thumb off my right thumb and whenever they were going to with a box cutter and whenever they were going to cut it off I jerked my hand I've got that scars where that's from they told me they were going because I didn't need to uh, quit asking questions so so you went searching for your missing stripper girlfriend yeah which is actually sad because her mom mom told me later that she had been killed by the cartel down there so mm. and apparently like I said there's a bunch of women that get murdered down there so in war is it's crazy yeah so like the thing is all right so I'm safe now right but I still have that in my heart so this the way sin works is like I don't have any ties to her anymore but that part of my heart and stuff that that was exposed to it because of sin I still deal with that I mean, God's healed my broken heart, but it still bothers me, you know. Mm-hmm. And if I hadn't been hanging out in strip clubs trying to get in fights, then I would never have had that trauma. And that's how dumb it is. And then I had this one girl was I was supposed to witness to her, but I was too busy doing pills and she was drinking and stuff, but she came to me and I was in love with this girl. I was really in love with her. And we were gonna get married but she um she had been in a motorcycle wreck when she was younger and said that uh, the doctors had said that she would never have babies because of the so much damage in surgery in her um her abdomen and and womb or whatever but I told her because God told me that to tell her that she would have a little girl and so I told her that well, all right, so we were engaged in, like, we 
we were intimate with each other, right? She'd always wanted me to tell her about Jesus and the Bible and stuff, and I never wanted to tell her, but sometimes I would. And we'd be laying there in bed and stuff, and she'd want me to tell her Bible stories. And I would, but she wound up getting pregnant. And um, so she she couldn't deal with it. It was too much for her, and she was an alcoholic. So she left and went to a different state, and she called me a month later and um, told me she was on the way to the emergency room because she had aborted our baby, and she couldn't stop hemorrhaging. And when she called me, she was on her way to the emergency room with that. And um, that's the last I ever heard ever heard from her. Where was she at then? Like, what state was this? Indiana. Hmm. So you went from one heartbreak to another. Yeah, I was just like I said. I mean, it was just, it was a. Uh, yeah, she killed our baby, man. Killed our baby. And I don't know if I'll ever get married. So that might have been my only child I ever had. So. I don't know. That's tough. Sin's messed up, dude. So what was it? What was the final straw? They're like, that's it. You know, oh, you're good. Don't worry about that. What's the, what's What was the final straw? You're like, you know, that's it. I mean, I'm not. I refuse to live like this. And who did you talk to? Who could you put your trust in? And I mean, because you've had some, some preachers tell you some pretty ridiculous yeah, things. Yeah. yeah. So, well, one, one, the main one through all of it has been Landon Davis. Uh, he's one of my best friends, closest friends. He's never wavered at all. So, yeah. So, uh, Landon, Landon's always been there. Um, it was funny too because I was in Burlington Coat Factory in Little Rock once with this stripper I was dating, and I saw his mom there, and she said, uh, and she's Sister Davis is the sweetest lady in the world. And she said, when are you going to come visit us? And I said, I don't know if any church wants me, in, you know, coming through their doors. And she said, I know one that does. And so a little while later, I was doing oil and gas. And God, man, I just praying for your lost kids, right? Or your lost loved ones or your friends or, or family. Um, it's hard to have faith when all you can do is pray for them. But I, 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 like I said, I can't believe, I can't think of anybody that's a beneficiary of people praying for them more than me. And something, years and years and years of prayers. There was one time I was at a bar, and I would, um, this woman came in and sat down next to me, and she was maybe 10 years older than me, and she started flirting and everything. Then I was out in the world, and she started flirting with me, and she had been drinking a little bit, and she's like, do you want to go home with me, or you want to come over to my place? And I was like, well, sure. And so I went over there, and I was laying on her bed, like with my back up against the headboard. And um, one my one foot was on the floor, and one was just spread out, like straight out on the bed. And she said, I'm, I'm going to go change real quick. And when she came back, she was wearing like a real revealing lingerie or something right and so she started crawling up the uh the bed like on her hands and knees up the bed towards where i was 
And she's beautiful, right? So she got about six inches away from my face, and she looked me dead in her eyes, and this change came over her face. And it, what? She, her eyes weren't glass or anything. She looked me dead in the eyes, and she <laughs> she said, "Does it ever amaze you how much God's grace follows you?" I was like, "What well, does now?" I stood up instantly and just walked outside. And there was a couple times like that, just out of the blue, like people that I would least expect that would just tell me, like complete strangers that didn't know. I was at a party once, and this guy was uh, DJing, and I was standing next to him, and between sets we would talk about music. And he turned, he had no clue who I was. This was in California. And um, I'm all tattooed up at this party and he looks at me he's like you know what you should do and I thought um, I, th- I thought I was going to tell me like some party thing like go, go somewhere or do this drug or whatever I was like what's that and he's like you need to go home and be a Pentecostal preacher and he had no idea who you were yeah he didn't even know my name and I certainly wasn't talking church out there hmm. five or six times just randomly that I can remember just randomly people bringing it back and just kind of, I don't know, that woman, she said, aren't you amazed at how God's grace follows you no matter where you go? And I was like, that could have been my mom prayer that night. You know what I mean? I don't know, but somebody was praying and God was sending these people. So you never know the vessel God's going to speak through. Never. And we don't know, you don't know the, the prayers that you've prayed over me, how God kept me and stuff. I could have had my thumb cut off in Juarez. That's a dumb story. That's stupid. Like, look where I am now. Mm-hmm. And I was, that doesn't make a bit of sense. But whose prayer was it that night that kept me from being killed? You know? Um, it just clicked finally. It just clicked. And I gave up oil and gas work and said I need to get in church and I can't be in church if I'm doing this on the road I can't be accountable I mean I knew the drill I knew what to do but Sister Davis is the one that told me that so I stopped and went to their church it's hard giving up all that money have you ever thought like it was hard like I I, I don't don't know I don't even know how it'd work with somebody in a bar and coming on to you do you think through all that like you've ever actually encountered like a like a physical manifestation of an angel um, bro, I have. Have you? I have, hundred percent. I can't. I think I've I've met one that was let's say like a, a a devil angel, like a satanic force on the side of a mountain in California. Um, but I and I, I can't say consciously that I recall that I guarantee you that that it was an angelic uh, being from God. But I have no doubt that I have. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Or if not angels, then extremely specific people that God moved on. I could see his hand in it, like convincing. And I'm the biggest skeptic in the world, very cynical, skeptical. My, let's not do all this emotional stuff. And I believe in it completely but also well there's an angel behind every bush or that the devil put that nail in the road or what like i think it, the, there's more supernatural going on but there's also not as much going on as like we identify 
but I have no doubt whatsoever looking back that God used people specifically. I was laying in bed with this girl once, and um, it was the next morning, and we were all tangled up in sheets. I'm not trying to be provocative. I don't want context to how messed up I was, but how God's grace kept talking to me and chasing me and following me, right? And we were laying there, and um, she has her head on my chest, and she looks up at me. Now, this is a girl that obviously we've been physically intimate outside marriage, right? Never talked to this girl about God, ever. She was an atheist, like an avowed liberal atheist, left-wing, like legit atheist. And she's got her head on my chest, and she looks up at me, and she's like, do you think you could teach me how to speak in tongues? Now, where did she hear that from? I didn't tell her. I didn't tell her. She didn't know what apostolic meant. So that's not an angel, but that's certainly God God reaching someone and saying, look, I'm not done with you yet. Mm. So I remember my encounter was, I don't remember the exact reason why, but I remember talking to our pastor, and I remember him saying, you need to pray for more faith. You need to pray for, um, you know, just I was I was struggling. I don't remember what it was for, but anyway, I was having a real bad day at FedEx one day when I was working and driving for FedEx, and I remember going into the uh, the fueling station, the Exxon on Commerce Drive, and I was getting fuel there, and as my truck was fueling up, I went inside to get something to eat. And there was uh, two military soldiers in front of me because right by there is the National Guard Armory. Mm -hmm. And so you're always seeing soldiers in there. And so I said, you know what? Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to buy these this this girl that's in front of me. I'm going to buy whatever she's she's purchasing, you know, just as a, sh a sign of thankfulness that they're serving our country. And, you know, I went in there. And or I went up there and I said, whatever she's getting, that's on me. Well, she shook my hand. This is pre-COVID. She shook my hand, said <laughs> thank you. And uh, I remember walking back up to my truck and getting in my truck. And as my truck was continuing to fuel up, um, I was just standing there with my back to the door or whatever. And these are the doors that you see that look like bread trucks where the doors stay open. You walk up three steps and you, know, you got all your packages in the back. And I remember... Um, having my back and she said uh, hey I just wanted to say thank you you did the right thing today and I turned around to say you know no problem or whatever and they were gone and there was no military vehicle around there was no personal vehicle around I was on the diesel pump side wow. so the gas side would be on the yeah, other yeah. side so if they were in their personal car would they have three tenths of a second to get over right. there and I, I called my dad immediately and I was like do you believe in angels like this? You know, and it, it was so hard for me to believe because I was struggling in my faith. Yeah, yeah. And because I, I chose to uh, work on that, you know, I believed in that. You know, ever since then, I, I've never let go of that. And it's weird that you brought that up, Brian, because I've never shared that story with very many people. But uh, have you ever dealt never. with an angel? I think I've ever that I can think of. Really? I, I, I mean, I'll think about it, but I don't. Cause something there's uh, feels like there's something that I'm forgetting, but I'm kind of like I'm kind of like Adam where I'm I'm kind of skeptical on a lot of that stuff. Oh, I'm very skeptical but, uh, on it. And, I, I, and so 
I and that's sad to say because yeah. I'm raised. Yeah, so, yeah no, so, I believe so like, in it so like, completely. So like my thing is, even if I had that encounter, I'd be like, right it okay, off. I'm just yeah. nuts. Yeah, something's wrong with me. There man. was one night I was in New Orleans, and I had taken a bunch of Xanax. And I was wandering around the French Quarter and the backside of the French Quarter, Bourbon Street and all this. And um, like I said, really just wandering around hoping somebody would, like, would beat me up. Or kill me. Just I. I did not. Want you didn't to live. care what happened. I did not care. Yeah. And if it if it if it wound up me being dead, so much the better. And I was just despondent, walking around. It was one or two in the morning, and um, this black dude comes around the corner, and he's listening to a Bob Marley song. And he gets closer, and he's wearing black pants and a red shirt, just nondescript really, and he's singing to this Bob Marley song and he got closer I'm like hey what are you listening to and he starts singing it's called The Lord Will Make a Way and he starts singing this song to me I was like man that's crazy and I turn around I was like thanks man I needed to hear that and so I, walk, I was walking off I took one or two steps and turned around and he wasn't there so, it I wasn't mean, to, the drugs talking was it I don't know I mean <laughs> <laughs> it, it, if it was it wasn't a bad trip so yeah yeah I mean that that probably is the closest that I know of, like that I can say for sure. Like Brian, why are you so skeptical? Because you you were raised in this. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of like I'm kind of like Adam again. That it's it to me. It's just like I, I just don't think that just because you've experienced something, I, I, like like you said, I don't think there's a devil behind every bush, and I don't really think. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing to articulate being put on the spot to be able to put. My thing is is that I really don't care if I ever encounter an angel. I don't care if I ever see an angel. Um, it's not relevant to me. If that's how God chooses to operate, that's fine. But I, I just intentionally don't think in those terms of trying to see it. I mean, if it happens, that'd be great because, I mean, I think God can do things in, in, in just any unique way. And I think if you get too caught up on, well, I want to see an angel, why don't you just want to see God? Yeah. Why don't Why don't you just want to see His hand? And and, and like I guess when it comes to like some skepticism, is again, it's just this this thing about like, can you prove it? And, and I know it shouldn't be that way because we should operate on faith. And, and I don't doubt any of the things well, that have been talked about. I mean, I don't have a, a yeah, but you also got to think too, like like I grew I I've grown up in it and. My family has seen miraculous stuff, but then you get people that see angels more time than has ever been mentioned in the Bible combined. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, well, angels really didn't come around that much, yeah. and you see one every week. Well, here was a really good one. Is there was a? I don't know why it's this way. And if there's one listening, I guess send us an email and correct my wrong thinking the crucial conversation at gmail.com yeah <laughs> no just doing it to me personally hrd underscore b-r-y-n at yahoo.com um yes i still use a yahoo account so anyway do I. so do i so, so brother walkstetter has an aol account how about that <laughs> um anyway so man i'm off track like a joe biden rally what what was i talking about you get your hand off me <laughs> <laughs> i was just sniffing your hair you were uh you were talking about um, we, we were talking about angels and yeah. um, how. Let's I can't, go back no, and no, 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 no. We'll figure it out. You don't have to play it back. 
Okay, we were talking about angels. What did you say? Get your hand off my leg. No, he was talking about how they didn't even show up in the Bible that much. Oh, yeah. Okay, I got it. So we said send the the hate mail to explain it. So, you know, I don't know why it is that people that operate in the gifts of the Spirit are always, like, extremely weird creatures. Yeah. Like, why don't you just be a good preacher? Why do you have to be Mm -hmm. weird about it? And so, like, for some reason, like, uh, whenever they get into that operation mode, sometimes they feel compelled to explain why they're doing what they're doing instead of just doing it. it. And and so Tony and I were actually at a at a an event, and um, the the prophet um, who is now backslidden, um, he he was going through the the operation. Well, all of a sudden, he decided he wanted to start explaining how he knew things about people. And he began to explain um, how. Well, he, first of all, that's completely non-biblical, because it's very, very known that God's not going to yell your um, imperfections from the rooftops. But go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, it just depends. If God does reveal your dirty laundry to somebody, it's it's rooted in compassion. Is that God wants to precisely con- convict you? It's not that He's doing it just to do it to embarrass um, you. But he w- he was going around. He was explaining how he knew that this person had all these different ailments. And one of the things he said was, "What I see in the spirit whenever I look at some people is I will see an angel appear behind them, and he will have like a billboard in his hand or like a poster board, and he'll lift it up and I can read it." And whenever he said that, I was like, that's funny because, like, every time in, like, the Bible that I know of that, like, an angel just kind of suddenly appeared, they were always afraid. Yeah. And, like, they would, like, fall. Me and Brother A were talking about that the other night. Half the time they had a drawn sword. Yeah. And they're always saying, fear not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, whose side are you on? Yeah. Neither. I'm on the Lord's yeah. side. <laughs> and and so to me, to, to me, it just seems ridiculous. And to me... It sounds so unbiblical in that it's just a Western concept of what an angel is to think that an angel is just this baby that like floats yeah, yeah. in yeah, the sky. Yeah, a naked baby with and wings. And then all of a sudden he has a, a heart. And he's got a poster board in his hand. Now, is it possible? I mean, I, Hold I'm on not a second. in the guy's life. We're talking about a naked baby playing a harp. That's something Netflix would probably That sounds put like on. a Netflix special. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you know, <laughs> directed you know, by Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah well. Yeah, you know it's probably best we just move on. Yeah, this let's, let's and, move and, on. and we probably probably just need to go ahead and continue because we could go on forever talking yeah. about the uh, Netflix specials yeah. out there. And, so, Adam, yeah. what do you got going on in your life right now? Um, right now, I mean, the last few years, I've I got back into ministry and started preaching. Uh, oh, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be able to do that. I know, but I got my license off the internet, so y'all can't yank it. <laughs> but I had a lot of a lot of preachers pour into me. When I did get back into church, who are they? You know, uh, Steve Davis, Landon's dad, uh, and actually, they're the pastors' wives. Everybody overlooks them a lot of times in this, but man, the 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 two sides of the same coin this is what I needed the the nurturing of the of the pastor's wife being being sweet and maternal, and then the pastor like kind of holding me accountable and being the stern keep, one, keeping me on track, but still also very loving, like incredible. Um, Brother and Sister uh, Davis over in Van Buren, uh, Brother and Sister Murphy in Baton Rouge Central area in Louisiana, uh, Brother Benjamin Harrison and his wife Andrea, um, my aunt and uncle Paula and Al Humphreys there in Hot Springs, um, Phil and Annette O'Brien in um, Sierra Vista, Arizona. 
is where I spend a lot of time too, and brother and sister A there in Hot Springs. Yeah, there's some great and the, people. These are great. I like God just put me each season, and these are all incredible um, pastors and pastors' wives' churches, and any of them, anybody would be great to go to. But it was just, it's really in hindsight looking back, the the seasons I was in and the pastors and pastors' wives that were there in the churches for those seasons has been incredible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I moved back to Arkansas in December and never thought I'd ever go back to AFT. Not not that I had anything against it. I loved AFT. But just thinking that maybe it wasn't, I didn't want to burden Brother Anderson down with my reputation and stuff like that. And, um, and I honestly, I think Christians, we, we dig way too deep into things and we let our minds um, overtake reality because um, Brother Anderson was probably praying for somebody like you to come into his church um, that was hurting, that didn't have direction, and here you are thinking, he don't want me. They don't want to mess with me. Yeah. And his his, his prayer was, God, send me somebody that's hurting. Yeah, yeah. I believe it. I agree 100%. And it's been a um, – I'm never, I've always told people that uh, you're a dumb dumb if you expect closure in life. Um, you're not guaranteed closure, and if you keep wanting it, then you're going to be disappointed and waste your life waiting on it. But it's just really sweet how God's grace is because there's, since I've been back in Arkansas this season in my life, the um, closure that I didn't expect, that I, that I wouldn't have, seen in this way you know different relationships or being able to rebuild bridges or or get some sort of closure is different than i would have planned but it's better because it's got the way god's done it um and it's been really nice it's it's been great i never thought i'd be back at aft like i said not because it's one of the best churches in the world best pastor and pastor's wife in the world i just didn't think i'd be there and um but i am so it's been wonderful so what do you think the blueprint for the rest of your life is where do you want to go in ministry um man i i I don't have any kind of blueprint because my my past and everything's so you know we can't even talk about most of the stories it's just so it's been so unorthodox that i don't know that there's any blueprint that i could make for it but the older i get i just trust god and have faith in, in his direction, his will for my life. And my main priority in, in ministry or in, in the way I preach or talk or write is just to try and explain how accessible and persistent God's grace is and just to show how, how low the bar is mm-hmm. to be able to, to go to him. And if anybody, that's all I care about and with me talking anything about my past is this dumb stories and, and crazy. And um, I got to say my favorite one's driving down the road and you crawling across the truck. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> like I said, it's dumb stuff, but if I can just give more stories in context to, to people so that they can see, well, he got God's grace, then I can do it. If, if this giant failure loser can benefit from God's grace, mm-hmm. then even I can do it. Yeah. And if that's the message anybody takes away, that's that's really the message I try and preach, is God's grace is persistent and accessible. 
Was there a, a time where the things that had a hold of you just kind of broke? Or is it just something that you just moved closer and closer and closer back? Like as far as the crazy habits or yeah. activities and stuff? Yeah. Well, the, like I said, the bitterness and, and anger at other people broke whenever I started praying for my ex-wife and her husband. And that was instant. I can't stress how miraculous that was because I would literally pray, and I, it shames me to say this, that I prayed for her to die from that cancer. That's that's not a funny story. That's showing you how depraved and lost I was. And But when I started praying for them and God's blessings and repent from that, that, inst- that was something that was instant. Um, the pills and stuff I wasn't addicted to, I just just abused him. Um, I walked away from that overnight, like I said, and almost died from it, but I kicked those, but, um, I think it just clicked. It it wasn't like a long process. Once I stopped doing the drugs and, and, um, and really committed to being back in the church, then it just all clicked. Like, it, it didn't take a long time. Um, but that was just after I fully committed to, to being mm-hmm. back in church. What would you tell the struggling, um, not even apostolic, but a struggling Christian that's dealing with mental health issues? Um, what would you be your words of advice for them? My main thing, especially as a man maybe, was acknowledging, I mean, I knew I was broken and damaged and I, and I wasn't right. But to seek help, um, it took me acknowledging, like making a conscious effort in in statement of I'm broken, I need to be fixed. And um, I went to several psychiatrists and internal medicine doctors, different uh, different things. And the last one was a little old Jewish psychiatrist that was just about to retire. And he told me, I said, how do I deal with the fact that I'm fundamentally broken, that I'm not as good as anybody else? And he said, well, your body is, is not right because of the chemical imbalance. He said, but your body is not you. That's just the vehicle you're going on this journey in. That's not your essence. So let's take care of the, the vehicle. And that way that your journey can be a lot smoother. And, I, and for me, it clicked. And so I said, okay. And um, he said, I was like, well, I don't want to have to take medicine the rest of my life every day. He's like, well, you brush your teeth every day the rest of your life. You take showers. You know, I was like, well, that's true. And he said, just try it for a little while. You can always quit your medication. So I tried it, and it took a year or two of dialing in the right medication, the right dosages. And um, But it saved my life, and it saved other people's lives. And I wish I had done it a lot sooner in some ways. I mean, I'm, I'm glad. I'm grateful that I went through what I have gone through. I hate that I caused other people so much pain because of, of me hurting them. But the quality of life is better. And I would recommend anybody that, that has mental health issues to go talk to mental health counselors because um, nowhere in the Bible does it say that prayer is enough. And you could pray all you want. But unless you do the work too, you're just wasting time.
Because there's always some element of works associated with faith. And like I said, Paul had to do the work. Timothy had to do the work, medical treatment for his stomach. I mean, if Jesus didn't have his prayer, all I can't get over that. If Jesus didn't have all his prayers answered, then why don't we expect us to? So you still got to punch the clock and do the work. But God's grace will carry it sufficient. So it helps you do the work. It doesn't solve all your problems, but you still have to do the work. But God's grace is there every second. You still have to pray all the time. You still have to have faith. You still have to fast and, and seek God. That's essential, but you also have to do the work too. Because it doesn't have to be an either or. No, it has to be both. They're not in conflict. Right. I think they're complementary. That's what the Bible teaches. Hmm. I mean, I have a very shallow theology, so... I mean, I make Joel Osteen look like G.K. Chesterton, so... <laughs> it's pretty shallow, man. Yeah, it's real shallow. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Jesus loves you, though. Yeah, Jesus loves you. His grace is always there. And just don't give up. Mm-hmm. Just don't give up. Try Jesus. Larry Norman... Uh, back in the 70s and 80s, the Jesus movement, rock and roll, Christian rock and roll guy has a song, Why Don't You Give Jesus a Chance? God doesn't want to be our last resort, but he's fine. He's comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. So let's try Jesus. Give give Jesus, the Bible says, taste and see. God doesn't say let's have faith. And people think, well, faith is just blind acceptance. Yeah, That's not biblical either. A lot of these problems would be solved if people read the Bible. You know, I, Infallible proofs. That's what the Bible says. So taste and see. And if it doesn't work, then try something else. Taste and see. Try Jesus, and if it doesn't work, then forget him and go somewhere else. You know, I have two bad habits on the podcast. Number one, I say bro a lot. Right, bro? Uh, Yeah, you just proved it. (laughs) And then the second thing is I always bring up prior conversations with other guests. It's pretty obnoxious. Uh, I know, but... When you were saying that, it reminded me of um, a podcast episode we did with Doug Kleindance. And I asked him, I said, why do you see all these things overseas and we don't see them in America? And he says, that's a very easy question. He said, Americans make God their last resort. Whenever these people overseas, that's all they have is God, is hope and faith and trust. See, Americans, we rely on our money. We rely on our doctors, our psychiatrists. And then if none of that works, we're like, God, we've tried everything. We don't know what else to do. How much pain and suffering, and and I know Brother Kleinens. He's a friend of my mom and dad's down in Louisiana. That's an incredible point. It's brilliant. How much trouble could we solve if we had done that, if we make it my first part? Think about all the stupid stories I've told you off air, on here. If I had just come back to Jesus, ignored what other people had said to me. Because I tried doing what the world told me to do, like the woman with the issue of blood, and I just got worse. Mm-hmm. And Jesus was her last resort. And how much trouble could she have saved if she went him first instead of all them other doctors? It's a lot of stuff to think about. It is. I think a lot about it. Yeah. Because it doesn't... I mean, it's a, it's a weird thing to say, well, he's, you know, the first resort. Um, I just, he's just the resort. Mm-hmm. Like, all through it. Yeah. Like, like, from beginning to end, he's going to be there and should be there. I mean, um, 
because again, going hand in hand with what, what all we're talking about, about how um, I got a headache. I'm going to trust God to heal me the headache, but I'm also going to take the Tylenol. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't exclude faith in him because I take a thing of medicine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Common sense. You know, I mean, he, he should, he should be involved in the, in the story all through. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not even that he's the first resort or the last resort. It's just, it's just him. And it's weird. Prayer is really weird, man. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Prayers. All right. So I can't get over the fact that even Jesus didn't have all his prayers answered. Right. So we don't know how prayer works. Like, maybe we'll get healed. I fully believe in, in the Holy Ghost power and Jesus' name, stuff like that. And I, I've seen it. I've been the beneficiary of it. And I think we all, three of us, agree that God can and will heal people. Mm-hmm. But sometimes he doesn't. A lot of times he doesn't. And we pray and pray. And like my childhood pastor just passed away, Brother Johnson, down there in Denham Springs, a great man of God that had the godliest people in the world praying that he wouldn't die. And he died. But the problem, the, the, not the problem, but the point is, like, knowing all this, the Bible still says what? Pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean we're going to get everything we ask for. We don't know how it works. We don't know why it fails. Not, not fails, but why we don't get what we want. We don't know why God chooses this or that. But it doesn't tell us we have to understand it. It just says pray without ceasing. So I'm not sure why God didn't heal me. God didn't touch my mind and body. But I'm glad I kept praying about it because I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. But I still take my medicine every day. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody, you know. You made a statement that I just love that a lot of people picture God's grace as this beautiful golden thing, but we don't see how low and how dirty it can get. It's never been clean in the Bible. Think about this. Think about, man, all right, I like talking about Jesus. But think about the Old Testament tabernacle. This is a hot tent in the middle of the desert where they're killing animals left and right every day. Those animals, when you kill them, they relieve themselves, bodily fluids, blood, sweat, no deodorant. It's hot. Grace is a hot, dirty, stinky, bloody business. But it's the most beautiful thing in the world. It's incredible. The dichotomy of it is insane. They're in the middle of this hot, dark smoky tent burning brazen altars and all this stuff knee deep elbow deep in blood blood stinks man like if you ever around slaughterhouse and stuff that junk stinks what's the most beautiful thing in the world and then you go then you go to the cross right and they had jesus who didn't hurt hurt anybody and what they do they they beat that lamb more they never, no, no other lamb or sacrifice in the Bible was tortured like that. I don't know why they decided to torture that lamb, but they did. And he was beat up. His, his head was jacked up from the crown of thorns. Where they, they made a crown of thorns, and it says they beat it into his head with the rods. Right? Back, ribs, stomach all open, dehydrated, sick, could barely walk. That is some disgusting, gross business, man. Disgusting grace. Disgusting grace. That'd be a good sermon. Topic. But how? Are you getting ready to write it's notes? the most beautiful thing in the world. <laughs> no, I'll let Adam have it. <laughs> the most absolute beautiful thing in the world that Jesus. Hmm. But I, I will land. say I am thankful we don't live in the Old Testament church no more. Oh, yeah, me too. <sighs> I'd probably done get stoned. 
Yeah. And not your kind of stone. I'm talking about <laughs> that is pretty funny. <laughs> Adam, thanks so much for coming on yeah, and man. talking with us. Thank you. Thank you. Brian, I've enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, there's nothing that brings joy to people's souls than a four-letter word of hope. Amen. And you don't have to live in a hopeless world. Adam, you lived in that hopeless world yeah, yeah. for a long time, man. And, I mean, from one accusation, you you just went, you know, I don't need God. I don't need the church. The church don't want me no more. Yeah. To, man, if I would have just put God first in my life. Yeah. I mean, would you have gray hair if you would have? <laughs> I started going gray in 12th grade, but, man, I went overdrive. Grade. Jeez. I just hope, like I said, I hope that that people that my heart comes through. I prayed about it a lot today on my way up here. Yeah. That my heart comes through. That I that I I would never want my testimony to be a stumbling block for the people that had been involved in it. Mm-hmm. That that know who they are, or that it would that it would hurt them in any way. But that that maybe they could be be happy with me. That um, one more prodigal came home. Absolutely. Uh, I'm um, I'm on a couple of private Facebook forums, and um, one of them's called the Worldwide Godhead Symposium. Uh, another one, I don't even know how I got added to it. It's called the Church of Christ Conservative Group. Hmm. A guy in our church added me on it, and like I went to go like register for it. And the register, you have to answer a questionnaire. It's two, it's two questions: Do you believe in the essentiality of baptism? And do you believe that it's a sin to have musical instruments in the church? And uh, I didn't even answer the questionnaire, and somehow they added me to the group. And so um, I've actually sent them a couple of messages today because the people made some silly arguments. That's besides the point. The point is, is there's another group I'm called called Oneness and Trinity Debates, and there's this guys on there that like they host a debate like every night, and um, they're probably going right now, and they go on forever. Like they start at like seven thirty, and they don't even end them until like two in the morning. Uh, they did a debate this week on Calvinism, and I'm bringing it up because I've seen you post some stuff about John Calvin on your Facebook recently, Adam. Yeah, I don't like him. No, nah, I didn't figure you did. But <laughs> or for the record, Peter Ruckman, but that's a different show. But John Calvin, I loathe. I like that. But anyway, so so this this guy was we on there. We know John Calvin. That's a different. I like. Guy. He's the only John Calvin. I said it was very ironic because I, I love even, that guy, but I don't even like him. Yeah, but. Uh, but the reason why I bring it up is because um, they were having a debate on Calvinism, and and this guy he was going through talking about Calvinism, and it, it got me really interested to start reading into it, and uh, so I started downloading some books, and I didn't know you could do this, but like Kindle has this thing called Kindle Unlimited, where it's like ten dollars a month, and you can read like an unlimited amount of books. Like, there's some books that aren't on there, but anyway, so I started downloading some books, and I accidentally purchased one. I made a mistake and I purchased like, but it was like it was cheap on Kindle, it was like six bucks. Then I started reading, and one of the the articles that the book had was a thing about answering Calvinist objections um, to the belief in free will. And one of them, the objections was a, a not a scriptural, but it was a philosophical one. And it said, any other view of God's sovereignty other than Calvinism di- dis- diminishes the glory of God. Only the doctrines of grace fully honor and uphold. God's glory. And what they're referring to, the doctrines of grace, is they're referring to the idea of unconditional election, where God just 
chooses some to be saved and others right. are kind of just they're 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 doomed to their sins forever and where God man's actions man's desire is irrelevant it's only God and and the problem with the quote is the way they view God's glory because what they mean by glory is they means God's power right. the God's power is demonstrated in the way that he unconditionally chooses to save some and not choose to save others. And we diminish it if we have free will. Yeah, that's how they, they believe that we diminish it. But the problem is, is the glory of God isn't articulated as the power. Right. Because there are plenty of people throughout history that have had absolute power that have been not a place to live. Adolf Hitler had absolute power. Right. But no one would have known to live in Nazi Germany. Right. It's, unless... You were part of the Nazi party. No one would want to live in North Korea where the Un family has complete sovereignty and complete power. Without love, absolute power is not a thing to live under. And the idea of, of the glory of God is actually demonstrated not in his supreme power and control over everything, but actually is in the act of the greatest self sacrifice of all of humanity. Uh, John chapter 17 and, and 1 through 5 and John 12, 23 through 33 describe that the glory of God that Jesus in, in verse number uh, 5 of John 17, the glory that he prayed for is actually the, the glory that came in what John, Jesus described at the very first verse of John 17. My hour is now come. It's pointing to the crucifixion. It's actually on the cross that demonstrates the full glory of who God is. It's not about demonstrating his power. It's about demonstrating his love. His glory is his love. And in the most brutal and the most nasty and the most destructive of all things that we've talked about, the the nastiness that was the cross, that's where God's glory was demonstrated. It's not demonstrated in the dramatic sunrise, but it's actually in the death of the Son, Jesus Christ. and. And, and so in our lives, in our most dark and, and trying times, God's glory is there. It's nasty. It's, yeah. it's tough going through what you're going through. But even in that moment, God's love can reach to you because it comes through the cross. Right. It's demonstrated in an act of where everything that you've gone through can be forgiven and you can be set free and you can be changed from everything that you've gone through. And what we have here tonight is we have a testimony of God's sovereign grace where he is able to, he chose to give his life so that Adam might be saved. Right. And that Adam can reach through his testimony and reach to others that have been in similar situations because you're a testimony of the grace and glory of God. Amen. Tell me that story, a testimony of God's grace and glory. And I'm a testimony. And you that's listening, you too, you're the story of God's glory. A God who gave himself that you might be saved. Mm -hmm. This has been a crucial